0: Good morning. Will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, We just sang a song, uh, two songs ago, with the following words. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. So we believe that and we sang that. Every chain of slavery to sin has been broken. And yet there's a problem, isn't there? Some of us, all of us, still sin we still go back to slavery from time to time. So we have to ask a very painful question. Why do we go back to slavery? What is it about us and our brokenness that causes us and leads us to go back to those chains of slavery? We'll find out in Galatians 4, and we won't leave this morning without hope. But we're not going to have too much fun. Because the answer to that question is really hard. Let me pray first, and then I'll read Galatians 4, 8 through 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the chain breaker, You are the slave freer. You are the lost finder. You are the despair hope giver. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for making the offer through your son. For anyone caught in the slavery of sin that they could be rescued by grace through faith in Jesus. Set some people free today. Lord, now we turn to your word and we ask that you would give us discernment that every word out of my mouth would be from you. And if it's not, Lord, help us forget it. And if it's from you, Lord, help us love it. Teach us hard things about ourselves And give us great hope in your son and our savior, Jesus, that there's hope for those who run back to slavery. Set your people free and give us hearts of joy to receive your word with obedience, gladness, and hope as we read it now. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. And if you don't have a Bible with you, it's also reprinted on the back of the bulletin if you want to take notes, and it'll be on the slides behind me on the screens. Galatians 4, verse 8. This is the great and glorious word of our slave-freeing Heavenly Father. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature Are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months. And seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Wow. Verse 11 is really hard. The book of Galatians has been full of gospel hope, gospel correction, gospel instruction. And then you get to verse 11 and you can tell that the Apostle Paul is really frustrated with the Galatian Christians. He's beside himself. He, he's gotten to the point where a teacher or a parent or a, a government official says, I don't even know what to do anymore. That's where Paul's at. It took him four chapters to admit that he's frustrated. He had shared the gospel with these Galatian Christians, either in person on his missionary journeys or through his letters. He saw them when they were in their former slavery to their sins, giving in to idols, worshiping wooden statues on their shelf, thinking that that God's going to give them a good harvest. And he saw them and he learned about them being set free from idol worship to false gods. And he was so hopeful for them. He saw some of them escape from prison, spiritual prison. But now he has learned that some of them are running back to prison. Running back to those false idols. And he has evidence. Look at verse 10. Here's Paul's evidence that they've gone back to slavery. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's Sunday. Happy Lord's Day to you. We are observing the Lord's Day. We're gathering on the Lord's Day for worship as a church family. That's fine. What does Paul mean when he says, I can see you've gone back to slavery. You observe days, months, seasons, years. Well, the gospel is the good news that sinners can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel says that faith is the thing that makes you right with a holy God. Faith makes you right with God. But there's a way to add religious practices like seasons, days, festivals, years. Religious things to your schedule to get to the point in your own heart where you believe that you're not made right with God by faith. That maybe you're saved by faith, but now you have to do all these religious things to be right with God. So they were adding religion to their faith and losing their faith. Because they're adding these things. Going back to trying to earn God or a God or false God's favor by religious practices. Religious calendar events. Today he might say something like this. You've got some people who say they believe and they show up for Christmas and Easter. And they think that that gets them right with God. Well, that's treating religion like it's some kind of magic genie in a bottle. If I do X, Y, Z, I'm good with God. And that denies the gospel that you're good with God by grace through faith. Doing that is a denial of the gospel. Paul knows that it's spiritually deadly. He's really frustrated. He's really concerned. And so he knows that they have gone back to idolatry. Idolatry. So today we're going to talk about idolatry, going back to false gods, treating things in our life like they can be God for us. That's idolatry. Our text is about idolatry. And we've got four points. First, the problem, then the effects, then the test, and then the hope. So we're talking about idolatry today. The problem, the effects, the test, and the hope. So what is the problem with idolatry that we all struggle with? Look at verse 8. Here's the problem. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that, here it is, by nature are not God's. Stop there. What are things that by nature are not God's? Well, false gods, something treated like a god that isn't really anything at all. You can think of a wooden statue on someone's shelf that someone thought, if I put a little incense and burn incense every third day, then this god represented by the statue will give me a great fruitfulness in my marriage or a good harvest or really good prices at the meat market today when I go to sell the meat that I've been uh, getting ready for sale You can think of that, or you can think of a a trophy on a shelf. Oh, look at my trophy shelf. Look at how great I am. Hey, trophies, tell me how great I was in 2004 when I won the beanbag contest. There it is. And look at my fantasy football trophy. I did it. I won a fake competition. Look at how big and impressive this is, right? And we go to those things for meaning, for identity, for approval, for righteousness. I'm good, aren't I? That's when you go to a god. There are all kinds of gods. And now, some people in the ancient Near Eastern world really had wooden statues on their shelf that they worshiped. In the rest of the world, there are places where people have statues that they worship. But the rest of us in a culture like ours, we're much more sophisticated, aren't we? We don't worship those kinds of gods, do we? Well, we do, and that is the problem. We do every time we sin. Every sin is idolatry. And a universal truth we see all throughout Scripture is that we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Uh, We all know this to be true. Growing up, I worshipped Michael Jordan, and I wore his jersey all the time. And no, I never made it to the NBA. Teenagers dress and talk like their favorite singers and influencers. Adults dress and talk like their favorite people. People use talking points in conversation that they get from their favorite politicians, authors, or podcasters. We mimic what we appreciate and we become like what we worship. When we worship beauty and success, we become consumed by it. If we worship money and use it for selfish causes, well then we become like a pile of money used for selfish causes. We become like what we worship. So idolatry is actually always the problem when we sin. When we sin, we are serving some false god instead of the one true God. But we were designed to worship God. It's really a feature, not a flaw, that we become like what we worship. Because when we worship God, we become like him. And when we go months without worshiping God, we become less like him. Think about it. God forgives. And as we worship God, we become people who forgive. God loves. And as we worship God, we learn to love. God is patient, and as we worship him, maybe one day we'll learn to be patient. I said that impatiently, waiting for the day when we all become much more patient. We become like what we worship. This is a feature, not a flaw, but it's deadly when we worship deadly things. Look at verse 8 again. Formerly, when you did not know God, in other words, before they came to know Jesus, before they learned the good news, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And so Paul, last week we saw, he's talking about slavery to sin. And now Paul says that slavery to sin is actually also a worshiping of false gods, idolatry. Worshiping money is just like worshiping a wooden idol on your shelf. It's just like it emotionally, spiritually. It's just as useless and just as deadly. And so every sin is committed in service to a false god. I told you this wasn't going to be too much fun, but let's think about it. Every thought you have either honors God or serves a false god. A holy, pure thought honors God. A lustful, self centered thought honors a false God. Does that make sense? Every thought honors God or its idolatry. Every action honors God or its idolatry. Every expenditure honors God or its idolatry. Every promise you make honors God. Or it's idolatry. Every relationship you're in honors God, or it's idolatry. So, idolatry is a huge problem, and it's always been the problem. Why do we gossip? We gossip because it makes us feel better than the person we're gossiping about. We like it. We're serving ourselves as a false God when we put someone else down. We whine and complain. So that people will give us attention and worship us and serve us and put us first. We lust because we are not satisfied with what God gave us. We overdo things because we are not content. And this goes back to our first parents. They had an amazing world in the Garden of Eden with lots of fruit, but they wanted a bite of that one fruit that was off limits. They were not content. So they idolized the thing they wanted other than worshiping God. And they ate because they were not content. They wanted more than God had graciously given them. So they sinned and they took. And now idolatry is our family's problem in the human race. Idolatry is a huge problem. And it gets really, really bad in religious circles. Because sometimes... We try to solve the problem of idolatry with religion. So dangerous. Look at verse 10. You have a problem with idolatry. How are they trying to solve it? Verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is religion. These are religious things they're doing. For the Galatians, this meant adding the Jewish calendar of festivals and feasts and holy days to Christianity, not to increase their spiritual understanding. It's fine to study the Jewish feasts and maybe even observe some of them for a spiritual, meaningful moment. And for fun, maybe, or for learning, but they were doing it for justification. They were going back to that to say, I now need to do these things to stay right with God. Some Galatians used to believe the gospel. They are are saved by grace through faith, but now they're acting like you're saved by your religious activity. And that's not just a problem out in the world. It's a problem in every church. There are probably many people in churches this morning, right now as I speak, who believe that you are primarily right with God because you went to church and you generously gave and you read your Bible every day and you had an impressive prayer last Thursday. It was a really impressive one. Wednesday's was okay, but Thursday, that was an impressive prayer. Or doing spiritually impressive things. Or serving in spiritually impressive ways. Or going on a spiritually impressive missions trip. People believe you get right with God by those things. And if you believe that. If you're not just doing that out of love and faith. In service to the God who saved you. If you're doing it to get right with God. You are proving that you deny the gospel. That you're saved by grace through faith. Religion can destroy your faith if you get it wrong. And that's why Paul is so frustrated. I can't believe you guys are going back to slavery. What are you doing? Idolatry is the problem. And they were doing religious, churchy idolatry, and they were forgetting the gospel. So that is the problem. I told you it wouldn't be much fun. Point one, idolatry is the problem. Every time we sin, It's idolatry. Well, what are the effects of idolatry? That's point two. What are the effects of this idolatry? Years ago, I taught a Sunday school class here on Galatians. And I peeked back at it this week. And I looked in the booklet that we went through. And I remembered some of the effects of idolatry that we talked about right around this chapter were so helpful. So idolatry does three things. And you see it in the Apostle Paul's writings. You see it all over the Bible. Idolatry does three things. It distorts your thinking. Emotionally enslaves and inspires more sin. So what are the effects of idolatry? It distorts your thinking, emotionally enslaves and inspires more sin. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 1. Romans 1, if you want to understand how bad idolatry is, read Romans chapter 1 this week and you will see the trajectory of a people that gives into idolatry. But Romans 1 verses 21 to 23 are really helpful for understanding what Paul's talking about in Galatians 4. So Romans 1 verse 21, think and listen for the distorted thinking, emotional enslavement and inspiring more sin. Romans 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So they were ungrateful. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There are the idols, images of men, statues of people, birds, wooden statues, animals, creeping things. When we serve idols, it messes our brains up and our thinking. It enslaves us emotionally. It captures our heart. We learn to love those things more than we love God. We dream. We wake up thinking about those things instead of God. And then it gives up glory. And you know what the idols do? Idols... Promise the whole world, take the whole world if you're willing to give it to them and never give you enough. Idols promise the whole world to your heart and mind. They take everything from you if you're willing to give it to them and they never give you enough back, do they? Have you ever finished scrolling through Facebook? It's a book, right? It's a really long, stressful book. Have you ever made it to the end? Have you ever eaten so gloriously much? Way beyond reason. And you got to the end and you said, I never need to eat again. And I know I've heard guys say that. But then they have to eat again. And they overeat again. And they overdo it again. Have you ever had enough From the food gods? Have you earned enough money and power and influence in this world that you are ready to give it all up and die poor on the mission field? Have you made enough money? Have you had enough power and influence that you're ready to lose it all for Christ? Have you? Have you ever played video games? And if you don't know the video game world, on uh, Xbox and PlayStation, there are achievement systems. On the one, you get an achievement, and when you achieve the thing in the game you're playing, the achievement pops up. On PlayStation, it's trophies. Have you played enough video games that you got the achievement pop up on your screen satisfied with my life? (laughs) Did you achieve that? Now, all those things I mentioned, money, food, power, entertainment... Social media, they can be good. They can be great. But they can also be God. And it can destroy you. Some people have tried the idols. I want to read a part of a brief testimony uh, written by a woman uh, in Christianity Today in 2017. She had it all. She tried it all. And she is going to use language that, as I picked her testimony to read, it matches up exactly with what we're talking about. So... Mary Poplin, she wrote this, as a college professor, I'd been teaching critical theory, radical feminism, multiculturalism, postmodernism since the early 80s. One colleague said, I was the party girl of the department. I was, here's the quote, spiritual but not religious. Here's what she says, I was seeking happiness, self-fulfillment, and freedom from restraint. All the while, deluding myself about my own goodness. But in certain moments in the middle of the night or in the darkness of depression, I could see glimpses of who I really was. So here's a woman giving into all of her idols whenever she wanted, trying to be set free from the confines of religion and Christianity, things like that. And here's what she says. I was not growing freer. My heart was growing harder. My emotions darker and my mind more confused, and I couldn't admit it. That's what idolatry does. It confuses our minds, it enslaves our hearts, and it inspires us to keep trying to sin more, hoping one day we will be satisfied in game. We will be satisfied in lust. We will be satisfied in work, satisfied in money, satisfied in pleasure, satisfied in family, and we never find it. Because we were designed to be satisfied in God alone. So those idols will take everything from you if you'll give it to them. But the one true God took everything he had and gave it to set you free from those idols. So what's the problem? Idolatry, what are the effects? It distorts your thinking, emotionally enslaves and inspires more sin. So now we get to the test. If this is such a problem, don't you want a really good test to diagnose your heart? To say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Examine my heart. See if there's any wrong way in me. What's a good test? Well, look at verse 9. We're going to look at a test for idolatry. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. So that's the question Paul says. Are you paying attention to Galatians 4? How can you turn back again? So we have to have a test for our hearts to find out what are we turning back to again over and over. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. What do we turn back to again? We need a test. And it's really hard because idols are often good things that can be good things in this world that have become too important to us. Good things that have become gods. And it's hard to diagnose because most of these things are good. Very few of you, as I've gotten to know you, are really tempted to rob a bank. If that was your temptation, that's a pretty easy idol. Okay? That's a pretty easy one. But most of our idols are things that sneak in through good channels. Uh, on the Gospel Coalition website, uh, an author named Joe Carter has a really good set of questions that jumped out to me. And I thought, instead of trying to summarize it, I'm just going to read it. Eight brief questions to diagnose. This is the test. Ready? Number one, examine your imagination. Examine your imagination. What do you daydream about? When your mind wanders, what do you think about? Material goods, fishing boats, exotic vacations, or fame and celebrity? Or you're thinking all the time, I just hope everyone thinks I'm amazing, the approval of your peers. So examine your imagination. Two, examine your attention. Consider the times where you'd rather be doing something else rather than praying, rather than reading the Bible, rather than listening to this sermon. Maybe one or two of your idols popped up in the last 10 minutes. Ah, I'd much rather be doing that. Maybe it is an idol for you. Maybe you care about that way more than you currently care about God. That idol will take everything from you if you let it. Examine three, your finances. If you have discretionary, disposable income, what are you spending all of that on? It's possible that one of your idols is there. Look at your checkbook. Fourth, examine your prayer life. Not just whether you pray or how often you pray, but how do you feel when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want him to? That's a test for idolatry. Do you trust that he knows best or do you become easily angry and bitter when he doesn't answer the way you think? Are you doubting God's goodness or even running away from him because of what you have found his answers to be in your prayer life? Fifth, examine your relationships. Are all the people you're in a relationship with, family, friendships, relationships professionally, maybe romantic relationships, Are some of those people helping you worship God better? Or are some of those people that you love and want the love of driving you away from the Lord and your faithfulness to God? Examine your relationships. Sixth, examine your emotions. What do you hope for the most? What are you most passionate about? What do you get really angry about? Well, maybe some of your idols are there. Two more. Seven, examine your concerns. What would you most fear losing? And if God said, I need to take that from you for my glory, would you say, absolutely not. No way. I vote no. Eighth, examine your past and future. I thought this was a great question. If you had a time machine and could travel into the past What moment would you change? What are you most regretful about? It's possible that some of your idols are connected to your regrets. Instead of trusting God for his sovereign oversight in writing your story and each and every chapter for your good from his loving hand, what would you change? And would it be for God's glory or for your own reputation? Those are great questions to help us identify your idols. But I have one myself. Do you want to know where your idols might be? I have a guess. And some of you have it in your pocket right now. Or your purse. Some of you are on it right now. (laughs) Maybe. Looking at scripture references, right? Your phone is an idol factory smartphones have access to every idol in the world. Every one of them. You can't eat it yet, but you can look at pictures of food. But every other idol, you can go there. Entertainment, lust, gossip, political anger, On Wednesday, the Institute for Family Research published the results of a study. This Wednesday. Here's what they found. More than a third of married Americans says that their spouse is often on the phone or some kind of screen. Often on a phone or screen when they were hoping to talk or do something together as a couple. Over a third of marriages. The phone is in the middle. Phones are destroying marriages. It's called phone snubbing, or you put the words together, phubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G, phone snubbing. Snubbing someone with your phone. Have you done that or has it been done to you? Someone is right there with you in the car and there's a phone in between you. Someone is right there with you in the bed and there's a phone and idols in between you or they're on the couch, or they're at the table, or you're at the restaurant, or in church, and God has brought you together for one day a week with your church family, and your brothers or sisters in Christ who need you to encourage them and love them, you are with them, and your phone is in between you and them. I do it too. I do it too. Guilty. But if you want to know where your idols are, I am guessing there's an app for that. Now, that's the test. I said we weren't going to have much fun. We're almost at the hope. But I have an even scarier question when it comes to the idolatry test. This is a much scarier question. Ready? Do you even care that you have idols? Are you even bothered? When you give in to your idols... Are you even aware that they're demanding everything of you—your heart, your mind, your future, your hopes, your dreams—and they're stealing all that from you and stealing glory from the Lord? Do you even worry about your idols? Well, God, when we give in to idolatry, offers His grace and forgiveness. If by this test, you realize now or today or this week that you've got some nasty idols that are destroying you. Repent and turn to Jesus. Let him destroy those idols before they destroy you. I'm going to say it again. Repent and turn to Jesus and let him destroy those idols before they destroy you. So there's some hope, which leads us to point four. The hope. Idolatry is a problem. It's got major effects on our mind, our heart, and our future. The test is scary because we all fail the test. Where is the hope, Pastor Dave? The hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus offers freedom. Idols offer slavery. The world around us says Christianity is enslaving. Christianity is the slavery. And yet, as that woman testified, she tried what the world had to offer and found that it destroyed her. And she found hope and freedom in Jesus Christ alone. Only God can make people spiritually free. Why? Because he knows you. Look at verse 9. Look at this. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? Paul's hope is that I saw you, you are known by God. He knows your idols better than you do. He knows who he is making you into. A glorious man or woman in his image for his glory and purpose. And he knows the destruction these idols are doing in your heart better than you do. So he knows how to save you from them. God knows you by faith in Jesus Christ. The knowledge of God makes us new because we like to sin. We like what the idols offer. They promise power or pleasure or fame or whatever it might be. We want those things. And so we need a God who is capable of giving us new hearts, new desires for his glory, for healthy social behavior, for loving others, putting others first. And Jesus alone can offer that. Jesus offers hope. And so we have two choices when it comes to hope. There's a false hope out there that says believe in yourself. The true hope is the hope of the gospel. Believe in Jesus. Our two options when it comes to hope. Believe in yourself or believe in Jesus. There are lots of versions of believe in yourself. There are even religious versions. Get this devotional. Get this Bible app. Get this prayer app. Do this religious stuff. Observe days and weeks and seasons and years. Does it sound familiar? There are religious ways to believe in yourself that deny your belief in the power of Jesus in your life. Believe in yourself is the false hope. There's lots of versions of this, and I saw one, I couldn't believe it this week. This is from a a newspaper clipping. I have it up here. I don't make this stuff up. I never make stuff up, because I don't have to. This is a baseball player from a couple decades ago, Mookie Wilson. He said this in a newspaper clipping. When I'm in a slump, so when he hasn't had a hitting slump in baseball, right? Or an outfielding slump, because he was an outfielder. When I'm in a slump, I comfort myself. This is how believe in yourself actually sounds to God. When I'm in a slump, I comfort myself by saying, if I believe in dinosaurs, then somewhere they must be believing in me. (laughs) And if they believe in me, then I can believe in me. And then I bust out of my slump. Now, we're all laughing. Most of us are laughing. You were supposed to laugh at that. But the dinosaurs believe in you. Paul saw Christians do that version with religion. I'm right with God only if I had a good enough quiet time. No. You're right with God by grace through faith in Jesus. And you are invited to have a glorious quiet time with God. Because you're his child. And he loves you. And if we get that wrong, we can do it in a religious way. So we must remember not to believe in ourselves or believe in our religious practices. We have to believe in Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, God destroys every idol. Jesus was destroyed on the cross like an idol to spare us from being destroyed by our idols. And we won't get to it this summer. But if you want to know the gifts that we receive, it's the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to see God smashing idols in your life, turn later this week to Galatians 5. We're only in Galatians 4 this summer. But in chapter 5, here is what you see as God smashes some of your idols. What does it look like when we believe in Jesus and trust him to smash our idols? Here's what you'll see growing in your heart, giving you new desires and power over those old idols. The fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is what Jesus offers you. God sets us free And gives us new desires. And by grace through faith in Jesus. He will destroy your idols before they destroy you. So are you like the Galatians running back to those old idols. Back into slavery. If you are. Repent and run to Jesus. The idol destroyer who destroyed the idols with his own death, burial, resurrection, and ascension before those idols destroy you and me. That is how much he loves you. Run to him. Let me pray. Lord, we did not enjoy this test. Considering how many idols we give into when we sin exchanging your glory in our home, in our heart, in our mind, in our relationships for pitiful, fake, false promise-making idols. And Lord, thank you for not letting our idols destroy us. Thank you for sending your son to the cross and destroying him so that he, in his resurrection, can give us victory over idolatry. Lord, set us free. Help us not run back to our old idols this week. Help us find freedom in Christ today. Help us see the fruit of the Spirit growing and be grateful every moment for what you're doing in our hearts, giving us new desires. And Father, help us beware of the enemy's lie that through religious practices, we'll be right with you. Help us remember that we are justified by grace through faith and we are invited by you to be set free from our idols today. Thank you for breaking idols. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.